Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Catherine Canty on the line. Catherine, how are you? I am doing great. Um, I really appreciate your time this morning, Michael. Thank you. I appreciate yours. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're a fellow escapee of the corporate world. And uh, it's when people see us and we're smiling a lot, they're going, okay, are they drinking some weird Kool-Aid or something? Or is there something else to it? So share a little bit about uh, your backstory um, and you know the escape from the corporate world and some of the stuff you're doing now. Okay, when you say escape, that makes me think of Shawshank Redemption and how every day we would take a little bit of dirt out to the yard and slowly plot our plan to get out. So, yeah, there's um, a little bit of Andy in all of us. Yeah. 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 You know, put a little hole in the pocket and drop a little dirt on the ground and we're going to be one day closer to freedom. And I think there's some similarities. You got to have a plan. Um, you know, corporate America, it's not prison, but it, it afforded a lot of opportunity for me that I would not have received otherwise. And, um, but you got to have a plan to get out. So, um, a little bit about me, the past 20 years I spent in corporate America in banking and I traveled the country about 60% of the time and helped other people grow their business. And, um, it, it was just a great way to meet people. And when you're in banking, everybody needs money and it opens up doors to all kinds of industries that I probably wouldn't have seen if I were in one particular industry that that wasn't banking. So the opportunity to do that and to listen to what the client and the prospect challenges were and to be able to come back and problem solve with the team and actually develop products and develop sales materials and implement and learn how to negotiate within a corporate environment has proved to be helpful, not just in corporate, but outside in the real world when, when we break out. It's critical skills to be able to, you know, negotiate and and go through all of those, those things. And of course, we joked about escaping corporate, but there's so many lessons that I learned in my corporate career, and even working in nonprofit. Which the biggest lesson on that is it's nonprofit; it's not corporate. So a lot of the tools you bring to the shed, you're like, wait a minute, everything's in metric here. Why is none of this stuff working? But there are some things you can do to to make it. But you know, what are some common things that you run into um, when? when you're talking with people in corporate and the work that you do, um, that seems to be a big hurdle for them at first, even though when you first glance at it, you wouldn't think would be a big challenge for them. I think in a leadership position, whether you're in corporate, you're in a nonprofit, you're trying to navigate a home life. You know, once we get home from work, we're still trying to lead a family um, to be productive. So throughout all of that, we're trying to create very small amounts of change And change is hard and change is scary, but change is constant. So what can we do in a corporate environment to help drive change? And I've found that when we can create small wins along the way and celebrate those wins, no matter how small they are, and create the momentum, we're going to have people that are going to back us up and support us. And I've been able to apply that same, sounds like such a simple idea, but just that simple idea of let's create, you know, a small win Let's celebrate it. Let's be curious, see where it takes us. But it also applies in nonprofits. It applies at home. And um, it, it truly can apply anywhere if you can just start with one small win. 
I love the small wins because then when the big wins come, um, you can celebrate those as well. And I worked for a nonprofit you know, over a decade ago. And one of the things that they did, they had a furniture bank and a food bank type of thing. And they had to rent um, moving trucks all the time. They didn't own one at that point. And so they were always renting them. And unfortunately, as many of us have encountered, if we've ever rented from some of those organizations, sometimes those trucks break down because they get a lot of usage. And that seemed to be a common challenge, uh, especially from the location that we were renting from. So we started doing some research and we're like, okay, why don't we just buy a used vehicle? And that way we can make sure it's properly maintained. We'll get it all checked out and we can increase the number of deliveries we can do in a week and pickups and, and whatnot. And a lot of work went involved. And then we worked with you know several stakeholders, both government funding as well as charity funding and, and some other things. And we were able to secure uh, a used vehicle. And it was mentioned at a leadership meeting. And this is something that, again, would expand our business and be able to deliver more to our community. And the senior leadership basically had it like a line item on the agenda and there was really no celebration about it. It was like next agenda. And I looked over at the director that was spearheading this and worked and she had a very dejected look on her face. So what I did is I, you know, I, I looked at her and then I talked to a couple of the other directors. I said, let's take her out to lunch today and celebrate. And that's what we did. Uh, and I, recognized it's like look this was a huge deal this is something that's going to impact our community now fast forward to now i know they own probably 10 trucks at least so you know they've really grown from it but that seed and the work of being able to do that you know made such a big difference you know it's like okay yeah now we can do more deliveries but on the flip side it's like look there's people now that need furniture that are going to get it there are people that are hungry that are going to be able to get more food during the week because we did the work and we were able to get a truck. I think uh, what you're talking about, not just celebrating that, but even that decision that you made, we got to stop what we're doing. This process is not working. And you literally had to probably stop working one day to think about how are we going to attack this going forward? And, you know, I joked earlier about a commercial renovation that I'm doing right now on a property that we own. And, I see the, the small business owners come in and they're, they're doing different contracting work, but they're just there to survive for the day. Like they're just using the rented trucks. And I use that as part of your metaphor, but they're just using the rented truck to get the job done. And they're so focused in the now that they haven't had the time to step back and look at the bigger picture and see where the gaps are and how can they start taking things off of their plate to ease their mind and ease their business into future growth instead of just being stuck in the now. So what you did was just stopping and thinking and analyzing and taking a few small steps to build that out. It sounds like it changed everything for the better. It, yeah, it did. And one another organization I worked at uh, in the 90s, um, and it's the only organization that did this unless I was leading. And then, of course, I implemented the same thing was they were a project management organization and they dealt with asset management of Fortune 500 companies and whatnot. So a lot of, you know, dealing with some pretty big projects. At the end of every project, the project team would meet with 
one of the vice presidents, and they would bring in a couple other people from other projects, and they would do a full debrief on how the project went. What went well? What were some of the challenges that we faced along the way? What were some of the lessons learned? Were any of those lessons applicable to other projects that are working and get input on it? Again, I worked in corporate and nonprofit for almost three decades and was the only organization that ever did anything like that. And I was appalled. I was surprised when we did it. I'm like, wow, this is actually amazing. And then I went on to other organizations and they never did anything like that. And whether it was in executive recruiting or IT or finance or any other industries that I've been fortunate enough to work in, no one did it besides them. And it was one of those things where I took that and I'm like, okay, if I lead an organization, I'm doing this and I'm going to implement this as this is part of what we do. And it strengthened things. It made the projects better. It made us better as far as planning on how many resources do we need for this scope of a project. You can always add parts to it if you need to, but they were going in blindly before just saying, okay, here's a project. We're going to allocate all these resources. Well, they realized, well, they don't need that many, which increased the bottom line for us as a company because we weren't spending as many resources. We were still obviously charging what we were charging, and it made such a big difference. It's Again, it's taking the time, and I think that's one of those things in this rush, rush, rush world that we live in is taking the time to do things. And with this pandemic that we're going through, my hope, and I'm not seeing it a lot, but there are some organizations that are saying, okay, we're going to pop this in a neutral for a moment. And we're just going to kind of look around and see how things are and look at ways to do things differently. Yeah, when you stop and reflect, and that's a process that I use within my process of coaching, stakeholder center coaching, part of the process to becoming a better leader and more effective at what you're doing and to be recognized by others is to actually stop and reflect. And then you consider what you're willing to change. And another key component is that follow-up. Follow up back with your stakeholders, follow back up with your peers within your organization, just like you did. And when you reflect and then you're willing to pick, it doesn't have to be a lot of change. Personally, I realized in corporate America, when I followed this process, like what we're talking about, just reflection and and consider what, what the options are, I didn't have to change a whole lot. I just had to change the things that other people thought were important and the impact that it helped on my career and the impact that it's helping on other people's career is it's pretty monumental because we get in our own heads and we start getting bogged down with, oh, I've got to do this huge list. And really, there's only one or two things that we really need to worry about probably today or tomorrow that are going to create the 80% of change that we're looking for. And then that follow-up process at the end, go back, make sure you sit down and, um, and, and identify what worked, what didn't work, and maybe what's one start or stop that we could start doing. I love how you have, you know, look at a couple things because too often we look at the mountain and we're like, okay, where do we start? I'm going to pick a couple things and follow up. That is something in sales, service, anything that a lot of organizations definitely could improve on because they don't have a mechanism that's consistent where they can actually follow up on things. I use a CRM system for the work that I do whether it's following up on calls or speaking engagements or client work or anything like that, 
this is along with my calendar are are critical. I, I treat them as close to oxygen as possible because without them, I would literally go, okay, where am I? Who am I? What am I doing today? But it's, it's been a game changer for me because it's allowed me to circle back with people that I've reached out to before and they go, oh, I'm glad you you know, followed up with us. We're actually doing this and we want to bring you in to do this and speak at this event and here's what we want to pay you. Well, if I didn't follow up on that, it, it would have fallen through the cracks. I would have lost an opportunity. And and I think about that for organizations that aren't following up on things, because if they don't, then that's when things fall through the cracks and everyone gets indifferent to it and you end up doing subpar service and you may not get new business from that customer. If you follow up and spend some time with them and say, you did such a great job with this division, we've got these three other divisions that we think your work would be beneficial to, let me make the introductions and all of a sudden, you know, a, a, a ten or twenty thousand dollar project could turn into a six figure project because you followed up. Yeah, yeah. They they teach a lot in banking the two 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 process, and I joke about how simple it is. But if you can follow up with someone that you just met two days and just reiterate whatever it is that you learned, and it doesn't have to be action items, but you're just showing that you were interested in the conversation. Put a couple bullet points, maybe just have one takeaway. Say, you know, we met over lunch and I had one aha. And that's going to start creating a relationship with that person, whether you want to sell them something or you just want to develop a relationship. The next two is actually to follow up at two weeks. And and maybe you want to plant a seed of something that maybe you're working on down the road and just go ahead and, and shoot them a note or pick up the phone and just say, you know, we met two weeks ago and this is a quick update of kind of what's been going on and go ahead and drop a hint that you're going to follow up in two months. And a lot of times I'll schedule an email that may go to both of us and just say, hey, it's a friendly reminder that um, maybe we were just going to touch base and just see if anything has changed or one of my favorite things to do is to lead with value and find an article that you think is is helpful to this person to help solve their struggles and just lead with an article. If you got nothing else, just help solve their problems. And if you help enough other people do that, they're going to remember that and come back and be able to recommend you or know that you're a problem solver. And when the, when the problem does bubble up, A, you're already in the email box because you've just periodically, you know, shooting them notes, but with a strategy behind it, but you're providing some, um, some help to solve the problems that they're seeing in their world. So two, two, two and lead with value are, are two things that I love to try to focus on. I love that. And I've done that myself, uh, either through LinkedIn messaging or a note to somebody. It's like, oh, I, I saw this article or there's this introduction I'd like to make because this is somebody that works in your space. And I think they're you know, potentially could be collaboration opportunities or at bare minimum, you know that you're not the only person on this island that is doing this type of work. There's actually somebody else that's going through some similar challenges and you end up you know, building a, a nice network of people that you can bounce ideas off of. And it, it, it just, I love the fact that, you know, you, when you said that, you know, you're in their inbox and it's not spam, it's just periodic check-ins and, and giving them value. And when you do that, you go, okay, the no like, and trust factor comes in. So when an issue comes up, they're like, wait a minute, I know Catherine has been emailing me a couple things here and there on this thing. I bet she would be able to help with this. And then you get the, the email or the phone call 
So, you know, you've, you've generated business by following the 222. It, it doesn't take a lot of time, people. It really doesn't. It's having a system that works for you, for you to remember to do that. And most email systems now, you know, you can schedule things out or use a CRM to remind you. You can automate it. You know, you can have it say, okay, send out an email on March 16th at 108 p.m to this person regarding this. I mean, you can get that granular about it, which is really nice because, again, that allows you to have the freedom to be able to do other things and, and come across articles or research or whatnot. And um, and that's that's a great thing. So I want to pick your brain real quick on, for, you know, for businesses, you know, targeting their ideal customer. You know, so many entrepreneurs, you know, that listen to the show and new ones are still struggling trying to figure out, okay, who is your ideal customer? Why, you know, why are they that? Why do you want to work? So many entrepreneurs say, I'm going to make this thing and everyone's going to buy it. Well, and unless you're Amazon, um, you know, not everybody's going to buy it. And I know there are people in the world that don't buy from Amazon, uh, but a lot of people do uh, based on their sales. But, you know, they're an anomaly. You know, most people, unless they know you and you are reaching the audience that would buy from you, um, you're going to be fumbling around quite a bit. So, you know, what are some guidance and advice you'd provide people to kind of help them, you know, identify who to target in their business? So, again, to keep it simple, don't don't overthink it. Figure out what the struggling moment is for that prospect, for that client, and see how you can help solve that struggle for them. And once you solve that struggle. And it, it literally applies to anything. So when I was in banking, I saw lots of companies and, and different organizations. And the really good ones were just solving the struggles. But once you solve it, you also need to go back and realize what language does the customer use? Does the client use? And that's now going to become our new language. We're not going to keep talking about the XYZ machine. Um, I joked, we had a, a CRM machine that we tried to sell at the bank to our um our, we were like a holding company bank, and then we had the local banks. And so we provided funding and technology. And, you know, people cringe at the word CRM. So when I came in there, they had already rolled out the version of CRM before. And of course, everybody frontline sales, they just are like, I want nothing to do with it. I hate it. I, it was a bad experience. We, I think we've all been in this boat before. And when I go out there and I listen to what key leadership struggles were, they couldn't get a pipeline ready to know, okay, this is our average pipeline. This is what our deal close rate is. This is our conversion. You know, you need to have that information for planning. And they didn't have it. And what we did is I said, well, we've got this piece of, of software that could help you. And it, it's called, and I'm making this up, we call it Bob. And they're like, oh, well, that sounds great. Now tell me more. It's exact, it was CRM. I came up with a new name, and now they're excited that they've got Bob, you know, that's solving this problem. We'll call it whatever you want, but I knew that they had a bad taste in their mouth from the word CRM. So, we named it something new, did a different type of rollout, and, you know, there's still going to be resistance, but leadership was like, well, I need to have this report. The managers need to have this report. We will, I mean, I've ridden in pickup trucks out to farms to figure out, the loan officers, what information do you really need? 
and then go to the next line manager and say, what information do you really need? Let's get rid of half of this form that nobody needs anymore. And let's just streamline this stuff. So, and, you know, at, at what way are you keying the information in? And why do we have stuff that you need at the beginning, at the end of the form? And and let's think about, there's so many like little minute details, but it all starts with solving the struggle of the client, of the prospect, um, keeping it down into, you know, just simple steps. And if they're hung up on a term, they're hung up on a word, then let's change it. That's easy to change the words. And then going forward, they adapt easier to it because they came up with the word or they came up with the solution that's solving the struggle that we're ultimately there to be able to do for our clients and prospects. Solving the struggle is something that is simple, but you have to have the clarity to be able to pull it out of of the customer because often they aren't quite aware. When they bring in consultants or advisors, they think this is the problem. And yes, that is a problem, but that may not be the problem. And having worked in software development and IT organizations, yeah, whenever you roll out a new system, uh, you've got the champions that are like gung-ho for it. You've got the people that are like, this is the worst thing ever. I'd rather have, you know, nails, you know, chopped into my toes uh, than deal with this. And then you've got some people that are like, whatever, you know, I'm just here to collect a paycheck and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to make it happen. But I I love your approach on saying, okay, well, we're not going to call it that CRM word. We're going to come up with something else and, and have it where, people refer to it as you're entered into this or track this and you know the flexibility of it because everybody uses you know those uh, relationship management systems differently you know some people do this thing i know the one that i use i use a lot differently than you know a lot of other people do but it works for me and being able to you know get it to where it's easy for you and doesn't create extra hurdles to do your job you're going to have more buy-in and more likely that people are going to do it. Um, and But a lot of times that initial hurdle to get people uh, to even take a look at it, it's much like you know having your child taste something for the first time. I don't want to. It's like, just give it a taste. If you don't like it, you don't have to eat it. Um, and that's when you discover, oh, yeah, I actually like it. Unless it was me as a kid and I really didn't like anything. <laughs> I, I love the facial expressions that I get from my mom whenever I eat something now. Mm-hmm. And I see her. And the, the, the complete side story, I was eating a sub, I think it was from Subway, and it had all kinds of toppings and things like that, stuff that I would never touch as a kid. So I'm eating it, and mom's looking at me with this you know, really grimacing look on her face. I'm like, mom, are you okay? What's going on? When did you start eating that? <laughs> and I'm like... I didn't put it on the calendar, mom. I don't know. Maybe five years ago, 10 years ago. I don't know. And then she went on, you know, basically a tirade, deservedly so, on, I couldn't get you to eat any of those things. It's like, well, my taste buds change, you know, as yeah, a child. things that, change. There are things that, that I ate as a child that I cannot eat now. Cottage cheese is one of them. Can't stand it. I used to eat it all the time as a kid. I think I just ate my lifetime supply of it. I'm like, okay, that's it. Can't can't go near it. But, you know, there, you know again, with bad experiences that you know, many people have had with CRM systems or leadership changes or any type of endeavor, getting that buy-in from them uh, is, you know, finding a way to find out, okay, address their concerns, 
you know, gather them along the way and say, okay, here's something we can do. Let's, let's figure out a way to make this work. What would you like it to do? And then they start getting buy-in and they feel ownership in it. And I know that's one of the things you do and many things is you know, get them to feel ownership in the thing that they're rolling out instead of it coming, okay, this is my system that you're buying from me and this is how you're going to do it. No, it's like, it's their system. What do you want it to do? And uh, when you, when you flip the switch on that, that's when they start feeling control. It's like, okay, yeah. It, it cuts a lot of the hurdles out of the wind, out of the way, actually. There's another process, the five whys, and I use that a lot. And um, for those of anybody not familiar with it, you know, when you go in and you listen to the, the client or the prospect of what they need, I often like to ask why, you know, tell me a little bit more about what this is going to do for you. One of my favorite stories is when a person went into a hardware store and said they needed a drill bit and, you know, the drill bit, well, why do you need a drill bit? Well, I need to drill this hole in a table and why do you need a hole in the table? And it's for a lamp that has a cord because I don't want to look at the cord and all this other stuff. And then you get all the way down to asking, you know, tell me a little bit more about why do you need this lamp? Well, it's dark at night when I'm in bed and I'm reading this, this book and they're like, Oh, so you bought a drill bit because you want to be able to read a book at night in bed. And what comes out of that is actually the, the creation of the Kindle. And we're not looking for drill bits a lot of times when we're out solving the struggle. If we can get deep enough and understand what the true needs are, we can actually create a product like a Kindle that changes the industry or doesn't even have to change the industry. But the true root of the problem was they needed a Kindle, they didn't need a drill bit. And when we can take time to ask the question, well, tell me, why do you need that? Um, we're going to learn so much more about our client and our prospect than our competition is that then again, it separates us and allows us to serve in a new way for our client base. It's asking those deeper questions. You know, uh, society, uh, in the information we consume, uh, the questions we ask are level one surface level we don't dig in to see you know what the true thing is and the kindle analogy is amazing because yeah that person could have basically drilled a hole assuming they're good at it otherwise they could have ruined a desk Um, they get the lamp they realize the lamp is too big for their nightstand so they got to go with a different lamp and then all of a sudden that lamp has cord hiding capabilities so the cord isn't visible and all of a sudden they've got this new lamp with a hole in their table that you know they'll never use and you know, instead you know go buy a kindle and 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 completely have you know the ability to read a book not only in your bed but anywhere you happen to be you know even i've seen people read their kindle while they're waiting in line at the grocery store or at the bank you know, they're just catching up on some things, or at lunchtime, it's they're a wonderful device, and you know everybody's been reading for a long time, and it's you know the portability of them. I have, you know, I've got you know one, and I love it, and it's just a great thing, and it, it educates people and all that. So, if you were going to give um, you know people one bit of advice as far as leadership or sales or anything that you do, uh, what's a common thing that you share with people uh, that you deal with? Uh, One thing that I would love to share is just lead with value. Try to help others. Pay it forward. Just just be kind and um, take take a few minutes. Learn what the struggles are and 
be helpful. Recommend, ask first, but um, ask, you know, hey, can I share a book with you or can I share an article with you and um, just lead with with value and, and try to help others. And when you do that, success will be knocking down your door a lot faster than you think if you go that approach. So, Catherine, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this incredible work you do? Thank you. My website is katherinecanty.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn as um, my name is under Catherine Canty. I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So, Catherine, thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate you and, and the work that you do. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.